Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this is the podcast where I ask various people what five things from their life they would put in a time capsule for safekeeping. They can choose four things that they cherish and want to preserve, but they also choose one thing that they didn't enjoy at all and would like to see buried in the ground and banished from their life forever. My special guest in this episode is my friend from the happy years I spent working on the comedy show Benidorm, the only actor to have appeared in every episode of all ten series, and the Swiss actor that everyone thinks is Spanish, Jake Canuso. People think that Jake is Spanish because, of course, he played Mateo Castellanos, the flirtatious barman in Benidorm. But that's most certainly not all he's done. He's actually had an extraordinary career. He grew up in Switzerland, as you'll hear, and moved to England when he was 18. For many years, he was a top international dancer with the likes of Annie Lennox, Elton John and the Spice Girls, appearing in a number of their videos and on stage with them many times. In 2004, he barely survived the Indian Ocean tsunami whilst on holiday in Thailand, losing several friends in that disaster. Jake's acting career has included the films Kinky Boots, Fly Boys, Journal of a Contract Killer, Nine with Daniel Day-Lewis, Nicole Kidman, Penelope Cruz and Judi Dench, and The Dark Knight Rises with Christian Bale. And on TV, he's been in such shows as Hustle, Heartbeat, Casualty, Doctors, Shameless, The Hour with two previous guests from My Time Council, Romola Gary and Anna Chancellor, as well as Dominic West and Ben Wishaw. He played Daniel in the TV production The Bible. He's been in Bad Education, Cardinal Burns and Scarborough, which was also written by the writer of Benidorm, Darren Lytton. Jake lives sometimes in London, but often in Benidorm, which is where I spoke to him. So this is my conversation with the delightful Jake Canuso, beginning with me talking about his character, Matteo. I always loved the fact that that very simple thing, the je, je do this, je say that. But you see, I fooled you even. Yeah. Because they actually don't often say that. It's very rare they say, Ju, Michael, what did you say to me? <laughs> I made a choice. I made very few choices early on. This is even an untrained actor. There you go. I thought, I have to make a few choices and you stick to them. Mm-hmm. You can't overload it. And then that becomes what you ride on. And I used to say sometimes, like if there was Burger written on, on the script, I'd say, right, have I read it or have I heard it? Because if a foreigner, an Italian, Latin, Spanish, French, Italian, they read B-U-R-G-E-R, it's burger. We say, ooh, like the Germans, ooh. Mm-hmm. 
burger or do you say burger because you heard someone say it yeah so if it's on a menu and i'm going look we have burgers here <laughs> and then you say okay what's funnier in comedy another thing i've never done a comedy in my life i'm the unfunniest person on this planet and i end up in one of the biggest comedies ever like you're funny <laughs> you know how to make things funny mine are just a fluke <laughs> it's more than that it's an instinct it's a natural instinct. Yeah, I mean, I tell you one thing I realise is that as much as I worry about things in life, it, this goes right across the board on anything about friends, people, uh, neighbours, somebody you bump into, anyone. I have a very good instinct and I do follow my instinct because I always used to say it's the one thing I can trust. Yeah. It goes back to my background, my upbringing, you know, which I embrace because my mom, who's with me here in Spain at the moment, she is what grounds me, you know, in this whole funfair of celebrities. I'm making, I'm making funny fingers at the moment. <laughs> it's a word I despise. But, you know, it's very easy to get pulled into all of that. And, you know, my mother just looking at her... She doesn't really know what we do. She has watched bits on Benidorm and then she just looks at Ben and she goes, oh, Joe Collins, <laughs> you've met my mom. She just likes people. She likes chatting and all that. And she wouldn't know who's who or what matters. She doesn't know what's important in television and whatnot. She doesn't know what, what's important in clothes or what's not. And that grounds you all the time. But my mom had a really tough, 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 tough life. Mm. We all had a tough life, family life, upbringing, you know, it was a difficult upbringing. You know, my sister was, you know, I can say this, very, very heavy drug addict. So, you know, it took years to help her through this and challenges and and to be open and to understand and grow with it. And, you know, I always fought for my sister, always. I never gave up on her from the the time I was born, really, and my parents needed to grow with that, learn, because they came from old Italian traditions. Mm. But the one thing we always had is, is I always had, even my sister, is do what you think is right to do. Not what anybody else says, mm -hmm. not what the therapist says, not if the family says you can't do that, you shouldn't do that, we must do that. No, you have to do that because this is, goes back to your capsule, by the way. Yeah. I can't find anything I want to bury <laughs> because everything in my life that has happened to me, be it a terrible relationship, be it abuse, all of these things, everything that has happened to me makes me who I am today. And if I take one thing away and bury it, it would be to deny what makes me up as a human being today, I think. Mm -hmm. It would take a little bit away from me. So I am grateful and thankful for every single experience. And you know, I was in the tsunami. I've lost friends in the tsunami. Oh, I, I climbed piles of hundreds of dead people looking for my friends, something I'd never done, never thought I could do. And you were nearly amongst them, weren't you, really? I was. I was underneath the water. I was under all of it. I was in it. I survived by luck. It wasn't my time. Mm. And uh, yes, I'd bury the experience that all these people died, but what it gave me and what I made out of it is very important. You can't change what happens, but you have a choice of what you do with it. Yeah. Well, I'm delighted that you've had a think about some things you'd want to put in there. I have loads. All right, well, let's have a look and see what you've got. Well, the one thing that I want to put in is a song, and that goes back to my family, Moliendo Café, mm -hmm. which is a, a song that was written by um, a Chilean, I think, in 1958, which is when my parents emigrated to Switzerland. But it was released in 1962 by Mina. So Mina is a very famous, incredible Italian singer, the, the, the level of Barbara Streisand. Mm. Not known in England or America. Really. Not known most of the world. No. She didn't like celebrities. She didn't want, uh, she shunned all that. She moved to the southern part of Switzerland, Ticino, the Tessin, and she released one album a year and she didn't show herself. And I mean, if you look at her album covers, they are incredible. They're like David Bowie album covers. She she was the first woman to sing on Italian television about smoking and having sex. <laughs> it was a scandal back in the late 50s, early 60s. But it's a song that 
we had a tiny little record player with about four records and it was one song my dad always used to play when I was a little boy and it's a song that I love still now I play it all the time now can't find in karaoke <laughs> too fast but it's a song I play and it reminds me of my family there's very it's, it very much reminds me of happy time in my family mm. do you know what I mean not saying that it was all bad but it just reminds me of my upbringing because it's all of evokes a home the home I remember where the record player was I remember where my mom was and my siblings were I remember the carpet I remember all of that so it's a song that I've listened to since I was about seven years old hmm. and I still listen to it lovely cuando la tarde langui de serena de las sombras en la que tú no dices nada que fue sentir I can't sing obviously <laughs> you always train. say that Hey, look it up. Moliendo Café, Mina. And your mum's from southern Italy, isn't that right? She's, we're from an area called Basilicata, which is between Campania, which is Naples, mm -hmm. and Puglia, and Calabria. So it's the bit in the arch of the foot. It's so beautiful. Yes. That's where your family come from. But you're from Zurich, aren't you? Um, yeah, so my parents both, they're from two small different villages, but they're both from Basilicata, And they emigrated to Switzerland. It's Basilicata is an area that is very poor. It's a very dry in the summer, mountainous region. Mm. It's all forests. So there are no factories there, there are no industries there. Even um, agriculture is very tough because of how dry it is. Mm. So if I look at sort of the family tree, I had an American canoe come over one day, Biro. Vito <laughs> Canuth of Philadelphia. Hey, he sounds just like the sort of man you'd be very polite to. He's actually a lawyer, very nice. There's, there are 2,000 Canusos in the Philadelphia area. Really? And they all stem roughly from that area. It's an area where people emigrated to Argentina at times, to America. Some went to the north of Italy, Milan, where all the factories were and everything. Yeah. But that was very, very soon crowded. And when there was no more work there in the 50s, then they went to Switzerland, Germany. And I have a very, very big community from my village in Italy in Nottingham. Really? Yes. <laughs> enormous. So all my family is, all my family, my brother, my nephews and everyone, they're all in Switzerland now. It's extraordinary though, isn't it? You've had this incredibly international life. It's funny. Do you know why I tell you this, Michael? Whenever anyone meets me on any job or anywhere, they go, oh, Italian, mm -hmm. brought up in Switzerland, speak six, seven languages, mm -hmm. and they have this weird sort of notion of what my background is, be it all Italian aristocracy or <laughs> come from money. <laughs> you couldn't find more of a peasant, and I, I love the word peasant, I embrace it, yeah. because that's what we are. We come from such a poor background in Italy, mm. but even in Switzerland, In all those years when we were kids, you know, we we're probably the poorest or some of the poorest. And when you tell people that, they just kind of, they are baffled how anyone in Switzerland could still be poor. But when we were kids in Switzerland, my parents, basically, my parents emigrated. They got on a train with cardboard boxes from southern Italy. They did all that journey mm. to the borders of Switzerland, to a land that nobody knew, but they knew they were employing foreigners to build infrastructure. Then they were tested at the borders for various illnesses. If you had anything wrong with you, you were sent back. And then in Switzerland, they weren't really wanted. You know, the typical thing, no dogs, no Italians. They needed cheap labor, though. They needed people who would do labor. Yeah, and they didn't, in Switzerland, they didn't have it. There was no infrastructure. My parents arrived. They had to go knock door to door and, and all of that to try and get work. I mean, it's incredible, I think, of my parents' journey to a land. You know, we take it all for granted now. They, they left everything they knew behind. They went to a country they weren't really wanted, and they worked so hard. Mm. And they were only allowed to work for six months, the first five years, all the immigrants. Come October, they all had to leave the country. And after five years, you got a sort of permanent stay. Mm. But, you know, it was tough for them because my mom, for example, you weren't allowed to be a housewife. God. If you had children as a foreign immigrant in Switzerland, you were not allowed to be a housewife. You had to go to work. So my mom was working to pay someone to look after my sister and my brother mainly all week long, and she wasn't allowed to see them in the evenings. Really very, very tough. Incredible. Rules. We had no toilets. 
We had to go outside when I was a kid in Switzerland. We had a bath once a week behind the building in a barn in a tin bath, me and my brother together. <laughs> yes. But then, you see, now you're going to disagree with me when I say this, but I've always thought probably as a result of that upbringing, you have an extraordinary work ethic. For a start, you train as a dancer. So dancing is probably one of the hardest professions in the arts, I think. It is. And it would certainly have been when I trained as a dancer, because in general, a lot of people become dancers without all that training. Back in the 80s, when I trained, dance was, first of all, it was very big all, all over the world. Mm. You know, all these movies were coming out, flash dance, fame, all of that. But Switzerland, they didn't support arts coming out of school. For example, you couldn't have a scholarship to go to a ballet school or an art school as a first education. Mm. But the schools they had in Switzerland and the teachers they had were the best from the world. So we had really, really good teachers in my school from all over the world, tough teachers, really tough, mm. from the Royal Ballet, from Martha Graham, from Rumbear. It was tough, but... To have been a dancer back in those days, to have wanted to dance, you have to get your body to do things. And the only way to do things is by practice, 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 practice. Mm. So I strangely worked very well under pressure. And I'm probably one of the only people who, if it's someone I incredibly respect and they only want my best, be the choreographer going back to when I was 15. Mm. And they're so tough for me that they would stand on my back when I was flat on a box split. Or my leg was next to my ear and they would push it. They'd throw a chair. Oh, my this God. Is, that was the norm back then. I really embrace that because... I can take a lot of criticism because I am my own worst critic. Mm -hmm. So no matter what anyone says, I would have said 10 things worse about myself to start with. So constantly <laughs> prove yourself. But I'm also someone that believes if you do something, do it 100% or don't do it. You probably think that people didn't notice. Or in fact, that it was the norm. But I can't remember a single day of turning up to filming for Benidorm where you didn't know the lines backwards. Well, first of all, as you know, um, Michael, it's, it's, if you have a good script, mm -hmm. it sticks. And of course, I sort of created this character from scratch. But um, I had to work very hard because, you know, Michael, I'm not an actor. I'm not a trained actor. I never went to drama school. I, um, I had a very, very big dance career. I worked at the Opera in Paris. I worked with Roman Polanski in Paris when I was 19. The Bastille Opera doing a piece. I worked in very big contemporary companies in Europe. And then when I came to England when I was 18, so this is even before, when I was 18, I came to England. I saw, I did the last Les Dawson and the last Les Dennis show. Oh. They were my first two jobs. <laughs> and then I sort of slipped into the commercial world. People liked it because I had abilities that commercial dancers might not have. You know, I had a proper classical training yeah. and contemporary training and technique and all that. Um, but I just fell into all these, you know, I worked with amazing people, be it Annie Lennox, you know, I had a great fun, but on a ROM, I'll take that, Elton John. You know, I toured with the Spice Girls for nearly two years. It's amazing. You know, I had, I, I did all of that and I got to the end of that and I always wanted to act when I was in my mid-twenties. And a friend of mine, when I lived in Soho, Great Whitmore Street. Oh, wow. That's for a different type of podcast really i think <laughs> four o'clock in the morning podcast but debauchery of the london club scene and the blitz scene and all that but um a friend of mine gave me um, a book lee strasberg it's about the method and i applied for all the drama schools and i got some invitations to audition i remember and i just didn't go and believe it or not or maybe you will believe it people will believe this i was so frightened about my english how could I go to a drama school and not be fluent in English and not sound English? I was so petrified of it. And mm. I just put it away and I went back and danced and loved it. But by the time I'd done the Spice Girls at the end of the 90s and done more videos, I was asked to go on tour with Kylie Minogue when she had a big comeback. Yeah, And I thought, if I go on tour, I'm going to live another year out of a suitcase. I'm 30 now. It's not my life. It's not my world. It's their world. It's a very surreal world. Mm. If you tour with the Spice Girls, you're hanging out with Madonna, Courtney Love, Lisa Marie Presley, Prince, all of these people, Sean Penn. 
but it's their life. It's not yours. Mm. And it's not a reality. And, uh, you know, for example, on Tour with the Spice Girls at the Four Seasons in LA on the last week, um, the manager came to my room and said, you know, I'm so sorry, Mr. Canuso. Are you unhappy with the maid service? I said, no. Why? <laughs> I said, well, they say you're they come to your room and everything's done. I said, listen, mate. I'm going back to London to my normal life and there's nobody there who cleans my room, my bathroom, so I need to start remembering how it's done because yeah. you leave that world and all of a sudden it's a shock. So I didn't want to do that again. I thought, you know what? Now is the time to give it a go at acting. Mm. But I did something very drastic, Michael, because I had to give up completely my safety net. I have to know that I like this and love this so, so much that I possibly will work the rest of my life in a restaurant and I can still do it. And I went and worked in a restaurant in Battersea. Mm. I read every play you could read because I thought that's what you must do. Mm -hmm. And I tried to read Shakespeare, which to me is like hieroglyphs, still now. <laughs> but... I went to the actor centre, I did an improvisation class, and when it came to my turn to sit down, a lot of people that were there were working actors who just came and did classes, as you would in those days. And I was asked to do something, and I had never opened my mouth, really, because nobody was ever asking for our opinion as dancers. We didn't have a vocal voice, we had a physical voice. Mm -hmm. So I opened my mouth, and I just froze, and I started crying, and I said I'm so sorry I can't do this I walked out I was so petrified and intimidated I felt so naked and exposed I had no idea what I was going into mm. and that happened to me about 10 times I cried and I left but I went back for more and I went back for more which goes mm. back to what we said earlier about my training that you keep going back you keep going back because you have to persist but it brings me back to why I worked so hard. It came from a place of insecurity. I always thought at any moment now, somebody's going to say you're a fraud. You haven't got a clue what you're doing. You can't act all of this. But then to have the courage to go back again and again, rather than say, I can't do this and then walk away from it, you went, well, I can't do it yet. It's, it's the want is bigger than the can't. And I think it's part of a challenge of where I come from, my upbringing, our poverty. I just, from a very young age, knew that I was a free bird. I would fly. And I left Switzerland. I went to Paris on my own when I was 16. I've never been in a city like that. I spoke a bit of French. Everybody was older than me. I worked with. But I just, I was just in it. There's a, there's a, a loveliness about this stupid innocence and naivety. Because you do anything, you go anywhere. I mean, I lived in New York for a while when I was just 19, I think. I was so naive. I walked down streets at two in the morning, one should not walk down. Mm. I talked to people you shouldn't be talking to at those street corners on the west side. But nothing ever happened to me, ever. I mean, they were selling crack at the corner. I was going, hi, how are you doing? You're having a nice evening. I had no idea. You know, I'm quite a linguist, I think. I like languages. Mm. I speak seven fluently. I speak a bit of Dutch. I can understand some Portuguese. I'm fascinated by languages. When I used to tour in Japan with the bands, I used to be furious when the record company people used to speak in Japanese and I could not understand what they'd say. <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, I was the only person in all these dancers and actors who would speak all these languages. So I went to Germany, France, Italy, wherever we went, I could order. What I love is the fact that all of you, you're doing well at school, but at the same time, you're still having to try and bring something into the family or bring some money in. Yeah, I worked. I worked when I was 12 years old, 13, 14, in my summer holidays. I went to work in the factory where my mom worked, and that money went back into the house mm. you know my dad was digging roads we all worked to you know we had one christmas present a year that's what we had but i never felt i had anything missing no do you know what i mean i never i never we had a very tough upbringing you know troubled sister all of that but it just becomes it becomes not normal but it becomes it becomes yours it's yours so I have no problem talking, you know, bless her. She's not here now. I mean, she she'd be kicking me because she used to hate me doing <laughs> that. But I always said it's very important to talk openly about these things because these things happen, you know, be it drug addict, alcoholic, you know. My dad was a very big drinker. 
at young age. All of those things happen. Hope, you know, it could be us tomorrow, all of that. Mm. And if you talk about them, the conversations out there, and it's not like you normalize things, but you start understanding how people can end up there. Mm-hmm. You know, within all that upbringing, which is very, very dysfunctional at times and bonkers, I still, strangely, I never have any bad memories. No, you remember the parties. You remember singing that song. I remember singing that song. I remember dancing on the table. My dad <laughs> called me all sorts of words, but I, everything went over my head. Everything. You know, it was quite scandalous at the age of 14, 15 in the Italian community to go to, you know, ballet school and become a dancer. I couldn't care less. <laughs> and, you know, the first appearance I did on TV was when I was 16 on the biggest Italian TV show you can think of with this famous French choreographer uh, with a punk group. And all my family thought, oh, well, he's on television. That's fine. Uh. And this choreographer was very, very famous for having, like, a very mixed group of of dancers, you know. Mm. He was way ahead of his time with Asian dancers, black dancers, you know, transgender dance, all of that. Tall, small. He was like the hot gossip, but a thousand times better, <laughs> you know. But I remember the first appearance was I had one high heel shoe on at 16, one Dr. Martin's on, and Joppo Goethe used to make our costumes. I had a metal cod piece on, a metal breast, my hair groomed, and like a net thing on, and that's how I appeared on television. <laughs> and... I never got a phone call from any other relatives. <laughs> Nothing. Hey, Jake, could you spare me that cod piece? I'd like to wear that for the next party. Yeah, I'll make you one. Yeah. Okay, so that's your first thing to go into the time capsule. Moliendo café. Brilliant. What's the second thing? Okay, it's advert time. So we'll take a short break while they play some adverts. That's why they call it ad break time. We'll be back in a minute. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. Okay, let's get back to part two of my time capsule with Jake Canuso and find out what else he wants to put into his time capsule. The second thing is, you know, I've chosen really weird things. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm going through this weird, deep, reflective state in my life. But it's the video, a film of fame, because it's what made me want to dance. It's what made me forget everything that was happening around me, the difficulties, not just at home or anything, but, you know, being a foreigner in Switzerland, being poor, all of these things. When I saw fame, I was just like, oh, my God, that's all I want to be and I started dancing around I have friends of mine who say to me that I was choreographing all of them at school at the age of 10 (laughs) and it's what sort of triggered my dance career which triggered this wonderful life I've had you know Mm. by the time I was 26 I traveled all of the world I'd seen more or less every country apart from maybe four or five I'd had experiences that are certainly nothing I ever imagined or my family ever imagined that you could have coming from where we came from. And, you know, all of that then brought me to London. And and as I said earlier, 
that seeing fame triggered a whole chain of events, choices that brought me to right this moment where I am with you. Yeah. Which goes to the third thing I want to put in the caption, which is Benidorm. <laughs> which is where you are now. Which is where I am now. I'm 20 minutes out, but yeah, where I am now. The experience of Benidorm is, you know, I've done really lovely dramas and some movies and TV things. But of course, Benidorm's the biggest one. I'm known for Benidorm. When I did my audition for Benidorm, they'd already auditioned for Mateos. They couldn't find the right one. So I was called in. I'd only been acting for a couple of years. And I had to read a scene. I had no idea it was a comedy. You know, I'd never done comedy. And remember, always you're a foreigner, so you don't. And I had a script. I had a scene with Kate, Martin's wife, mm. on the lounger when I said to her to come, you know, you know, I'm very hot, you know, room 218 is very, very hot. Just saying, it's very, very hot. I do that whole scene. And I did it. And Kevin Allen, the late, wonderful, wonderful Jeffrey Perkins, who was just an incredible man, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful man. I just, my heart warms when I think of him. And Darren <laughs> was in the room, the three of them. And they laughed out loud. Darren, especially with his loud laugh, they laughed out loud and I died inside. Ah. I thought, oh my God, I'm so bad. They're actually laughing out loud, not even sniggering, laughing out loud. Ah. And I went red. And then they laughed and laughed and they said, can you do it again? I said, yeah. Oh, my word. And I did again, and they laughed again, and they laughed, and they laughed, and I thought, oh, my God. So of course, you know, if you go to an audition for drama and you do an upsetting scene, nobody cries in the audition. No. Do they? No. No tears. So why did I expect somebody to laugh out loud when you do a comedy or anything like that? Anyway, I walked out of the room, and I literally called my agent, oh, <laughs> they were laughing at me and he said to me it's a comedy I said it's a comedy it's a comedy I said but it's a comedic scene he said like, it's a comedy they meant to laugh I said why didn't you tell me before <laughs> anyway I got the call the next day that I got the job so but how brilliant though that almost that taking it seriously is the thing that did it well I played him completely straight I just played you, him yeah you always did straight and you know my character can be a character to some degree as in like you know he falls over things like that but the thing is playing with conviction he just absolutely mm -hmm. does it with conviction as you know the wedding speech there's so much conviction right. in that one of the funniest scenes on television ever i think it is it is um it was you know half of it i didn't understand when i first read it even then <laughs> i was kind of like what does that mean and what does that mean but um, i remember you saying that to tony what's that joke mean yeah, what does it mean? But yeah. um, the reason I put it in is because I've had the most, you know, I've got marriage out of it, I've got a lovely house here. I've had the most wonderful experiences on this show. Benidorm is so unique. I think sometimes I try and recapture that on other jobs. Um, it was very clear from the beginning of the show there is no hierarchy. And a big part of that was Jeffrey Perkins and Darren. Mm. You know, Darren coming from an acting background and Jeffrey Perkins just, you know, when Jeffrey Perkins does karaoke at five in the morning and he has to be on set at six, you kind of know. <laughs> um, I think I was the most sober person in those days, not going drinking at night. But um, everybody was embraced on this show and everybody was lovely and kind and and supportive and I really as an actor they all made me a better actor and I loved it and I enjoyed it I enjoyed every single moment of it mm. but I used to walk my favorite bit you remember that the corridor at the the Pelicanus Hotel which is the Solana Hotel the first floor of this hotel was taken over by us as changing rooms dressing rooms wardrobe and makeup and there was a little spread outside a little ham, a little overboiled eggs, a bit of dried asparagus and toast, cornflakes, coffee, lots of coffee. Mm. And it was our gathering point. We all arrived, and I remember arriving in there at 6, 5.30 in the morning, and I had a beam on my face. I just mm. smiled. I loved having that moment, talking to people, how are you? The sun was shining outside. We were doing a job, working very hard and long hours, but it just felt like, how can this be possible? Mm. I'm actually working hard, earning money, but it's like I'm dreaming. And the crew as you well. Know, I mean, I always all, remember the crew. They were just fantastic, everybody involved in the show. You know what I'm like. I'm, I'm very much of a embracing everyone. I used to be the organisers. And I think because I came from a background of not acting, 
I always make sure that we were all together. And sometimes it was a bit weird because Matters would go like, well, why are they do? Why are they here? Or, you know, some of the crew would have mixed and all that. And it became this huge family and everyone just, everybody was helping everyone all the time. Mm. And we were all in it together to create something that would be as much fun to watch as we were having. Yes. Beno has given me so much joy. You know, I've got a house here. And also going back to my family, you know, I always promised my mum I'd buy her a house when I was a little boy, you know, our own house, not sharing house, our own bathroom, our own toilet and all this. So when my mum sits in the pool and she paddles her feet and I look at her, I said, mum, what's it like? Is it weird? She goes, do you remember? I said, I do. Huh. So we're kids. We'd go past house in Switzerland. I'd look at them and go, mum, there's one family living that one house mm. on their own. And why have they got a lake at the back of the house? <laughs> we didn't know it was a swimming. All, you know, all of these things. It's so weird. So Benidorm has done all of this, which is wonderful, which is why I can go back to acting and back to you and say, like, you know, I did I had loads of work, but I did one job that gave me everything mm. and more than I could have dreamt of. And it's nothing to do with celebrity, financial, or a career. It gave me friends forever. It gave me moments I will never, ever forget. Mm. I've had conversations. I like talking to people, as you do. So that's the next thing that went in there. Lovely. That's beautiful. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's move on to item number four, then. Item number four is a very strange thing. It's a piece of art mm. that I did in lockdown. So I'll make it brief, because it's very long. In lockdown, I was here locked in. We had a choice to go back to England or stay here. I said, I'll stay here. And I was getting a little bit bored. And then I saw calendars of me, the back of the wardrobe somewhere, like calendars from 2014, Jake Canuso, top and speedos, <laughs> you know, posing and all that. And I was kind of like, oh, God, really? And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to recycle my ego and my vanity. I'm going to cut all these calendars up and make clothing out of it, literally like a dress, wigs, all of this out of it. I'm going to walk down to the bin and put it in the bin and recycle it. So I started doing that because I we were locked indoors and I thought, well, I have to use what I have at home, cardboard, scissors. Then I started making clothes out of cardboards. I started gluing my calendar on like cardboard clothes, like corsets and things. And then I got bin liners and I started making like couture dresses out of bin liners. <laughs> and then I thought my friend Lola's Leon, who is a very, very famous, successful actress from the Alma Drabar movies. And she played my mother-in-law in an episode here. Mm. I was speaking to her and she was talking to me in Madrid. And she, when it was really bad in Italy and Spain, she had like a, a plastic mask on. I thought, oh, that's great. It's like a bin liner. <laughs> so I started doing that. So I started doing these weird things and she showed it to a friend of hers who has this place in Madrid called the Fashion Art Institute. It's a, a, a very famous designer, Manu Fernandez, who was a fashion designer, but he decided to make art with fashion, not fashion to sell. So he set up the Fashion Art Institute. He has loads of charities he works for. He does wonderful things. He's very much about sustainability, mm -hmm. recycling. So all of a sudden I get a call from this person saying like, oh, I'm a friend of Lourdes Leon. I want you to do a piece of art. 2000 are going to competition in Madrid for the Red Cross for COVID at this time. I went, oh, mate, never done a piece of art in my life. I ain't got a clue what to do. Anyway, yeah, you can do it. No, okay, I'll think about it. No, I went, no, 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 no. I Googled him a bit and they do incredible things. He, he basically works, let's say, with Damien Hurst or whoever it is. And he looks at their art and he creates a piece that goes with their art. Mm. So it becomes a piece of sculpture or something. It's very what Comme des Garçons. I mean, he did what Comme des Garçons, Yoji, all these designers did, Alexander McQueen years ago. He did it way before. Mm. Paint these costumes with art, you know, an artist, as if Picasso was painting it. And it goes to charity, a lot of it, or most of it goes to charity. He works with charities in, in really poor areas all over the world, gets women from abused relationships or ex-drug addicts, gives them a piece of recycled designer clothes from one of his friends and then creates a whole new costume with them that gets catwalked in a royal palace somewhere. Yeah. So he brings back a gift they had or an ability they had so they have confidence in themselves again and faith and, and do you know what I mean? Mm. So he was doing this for the Red Cross, for all the people in Spain who, you know, people suffer terrible of the world. They lost their jobs, they lost their livelihoods, their houses. 
So he pestered and pestered me. I'm like, oh, all right then. God, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll just do something. I said, what do you want me to do? He goes, anything. It just has to be RRR. Recycling, reuse, and re in something. Three R's. <laughs> um, and I thought, oh, God, what am I going to do? And I thought, you know what? I'm going to get mannequins, plastic mannequins, and I'm going to make... So I worked a little bit in fashion, like as an art director. I thought, well, I'll just make something out of masks because at this point, masks, you could buy them everywhere for a euro each. Yeah. Where before people were dying, you couldn't get them. Anyway, I started off with a mask, made a little dress. I ended up after four weeks with a four by five meter piece of sculpture, a dress that's like an Alexander between couture dress with wiring in it. I all glued it, super glued it. Wings, huge angel wings, <laughs> each feather being a mask that I cut. Wow. I created corsets to hold these wings up. I hammered them at five in the morning, <laughs> like they used to in the Middle Ages, and I bolted them because I thought, well, how is this going to work? It's not going to hold with a string. Oh, a bolt. I could turn the bolt. And I bolted headpieces on the head and all this. And it's standing in the museum in Madrid. Wow. So it got selected to stand in this museum in Madrid. It's like... Out of 2,000 entrants. Yeah. Wow. It's artists also. Artists. Yeah. Um. It was representing initially all the people that worked through, you know, the lockdowns that were sort of, you know, one foot in death, one foot in the grave and one not. Mm. So she's got one foot in a perspex box with what I created as a virus and all that. She has a handbag with a perspex coffin with the green hearts, which represents Sanitas, public health in Spain and the Red Cross on it and mm. all the dead. She has blue, white, green drips hospital ones going into her arms but also into this dress which represents hope love peace all of that and then on the dress that flies out on the side like wings it has prints one's a very negative one because i went to the streets i wanted it to be a piece about the people here not my piece their voice it's called the whispers of the uh, the whispers of the forgotten mm. basically meaning you know when people want our votes they tell us all they want to tell us. Mm. But then when we have something to say, we're just forgotten mm. people in these small villages. I asked them each a word of their experience of lockdown. And they were very hesitant, some people. I went from 80 to babies. Mm. Initially hesitant because they were very angry at the politicians, at the government. So they gave me all of this. And then they also gave wonderful words, hope, family, Friends of mine who are very successful in their architecture business all of a sudden start spending time with their kids, which they never had. No. They had nannies. All of this. So I thought, oh, I'll put this on the dress. And I said, I want it to be positive. So I pressed, I put all the positive words on each mask. I printed it by hand. Mm. Hope, family, unity, um, prosperity, union. And then one print is the negative one. So I've got a woman's mouth stitched up. And the man pointing the finger at it and he says, shut your mouth, shut your mouth, shut your mouth. Because there's a lot of domestic violence and racism happened in Spain again. Mm. Then it has old people being pushed out of a, of a hospital with a cross saying no entry because they weren't letting older people in. Um, there's a, a, a character that represents wealth and power in Spain. It looks a bit like Winston Churchill, mm. that sort of look, cigar. And behind that, as a print, like like a wallpaper, I wrote all like lies, false promises. We have a voice. Women are valid. All of that. Mm. And then the other print is all the rainbow flags. Every religion mixed together. White, black hands, young hand holding an old person. Tree of life with love, peace. So I created this quite political piece. I then found out that they said to me, said, well, you've done about five pieces here, so we can't do all of it. Said, but we want to work with you in the future. Wow. For the summit in 2030, they're working with them. So they want me to create 10 more pieces by then. Amazing. So, and what happened, the reason I'm saying this art is because this piece of art opened a voice in me that I didn't think I had, I didn't know I had, mm -hmm. which is the voice that when you leave your brain alone, when you try not to have a goal, when you try not to do it for financial reason, we are full of voices and creativity. And if we just let it flow through us and let it be, it comes. Don't doubt it. Just don't question it or doubt it. Mm. And it sort of triggered a whole chain of events for me of going like, what do I want to do? What makes me happy? All of that, you know, and also reading these things, you know, hope, unity. It's I very much felt part of the world again. And yeah. it's about sustainability. So I'm much more involved with that. How do we preserve this world for our children, our grandchildren? Mm. You know, you have grandchildren. Yeah. Michael, how, how do you feel about what they're going to be? Uh, it's frightening, I think. 
And I feel that it's very much up to us to do it now and not leave it up to them to sort out our mess. Oh, it'd be too late for them, I think. Yeah. But it's hard even for us because we consciously do it. And sometimes I feel myself like, I've just thrown this in the wrong bin. Mm. And then I feel terrible walking home. (laughs) Guilt comes over me because I think we have to do something. But it's interesting that you said there's nothing about your life that you want to throw away. Uh, Is there not a side of you that thinks... All those times I doubted myself. No, because I think the time when you doubt yourself, you're not ready for it. Right. I'm very much, and I know a lot of people can't function like that, I'm very much someone who believes things happen for a reason, they come at the right time for a reason. And for me, that works. It doesn't work for everyone else because even terrible times, I can embrace. And you have to when you're me because if something like the tsunami happens to you and you're nearly dead... And, you I, I, you know, I was half on the other side, literally, mm. and I came back from it. It just means you have to believe. I mean, it's weird. You know, We, I found dead bodies. I climbed mountains of dead bodies. They didn't look like human beings. We cremated them. We did, I watched my friends burn on pyres, which I'd never seen. Mm. I was petrified of it. And the smoke goes up, and there are four eagles spinning around each smoke. I mean, that freaked me so much out. Mm. So it's hard. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Hold on a second, Michael, two sec. Can I break? It's yeah. just my mom. I told her not to interrupt. And she That's is. all right. That's all right. Don't worry. Ma. Senile now, my mom. Hmm. Yeah, cut this bit out. I'll leave it in if you yeah. like. She literally said to me in Italian, where the fuck did you go and you didn't tell me anything? <laughs> Get guts of all shit. Shit, you thought. I said, Mum, I told you I'm doing this. <laughs> oh, right. What's your language, Mum? What's your language, Mother? Um, so what do you think then you want to put in there that you could get rid of? Well, I've just realised the thing I was going to put away was weapons and guns. If I could, that's the one thing I would do. Anything that's a weapon. Mm. The other thing, which has a little bit to do with this, but it's a different thing, was going to be like the new way that we communicate, the mobile phones, this new way of communicating. Yeah. WhatsApp, social media, I know what it's for and I use it still very badly. (laughs) I know what my Instagram has to be like. But, you know, I remember the days when I didn't have a mobile phone. Mm. I was in London. I had to ring my agency at five to six every night to find out if I have an audition the next day or if I'd got a job or something like that. I could phone home once a month. That's all I could afford to Mm -hmm. Switzerland. We wrote letters. We sent parcels that cost a fortune. You did important calls. You met up with people. You talked with people. You saw people face to face. This is The Zoom thing is a fantastic thing because actually it's connected people that don't normally connect. Mm -hmm. I like this Zoom. Don't get me wrong. I like a FaceTime, all of this. But, you know, I my phone was not working for five days. It was probably some of the five happiest days I've had in a long time. <laughs> because you just resign to it and you go, oh, I know, I can't Google this. And I'm not scrolling. Mm-hmm. You know, people go like, you're online, why aren't you answering? I'm busy. I'm a grown-up man. Why are you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. All of that, I'm working. I'm, if I don't, it's all of that, this accessibility to everything so instantly. Mm. Part of me just wants to chuck that away. Mm. There's benefits with it. We have a group with my family, with my cousin and my, my nephews, my brother, and all that. And so we exchange pictures, which we didn't have before my sister died. We did it because of that. Mm. So that's, there is benefits in it. But some of it just annoys the F out of me. I tell you that. It's like, oh. Yeah, okay. Leave me alone, you know. Well, I'm going to chuck it away for you then. We'll get rid of it. We'll put it in. I'm going to take all those things, Jake. I'm going to put them in the time capsule. Good. It's been absolutely fantastic talking to you. Fascinating. I mean, I knew a lot of this stuff, but in a way I'd sort of forgotten it because you're so sort of personable and so relaxed, it seems to me, all the time and so much fun to be with. You forget that what you've been through to get where you are, it never shows in you. It's a wonderful thing. I think it shows. I think what what the obvious thing is, is that the obvious thing would be that you see someone who struggled. You know, people say to me, when when my sister died is another thing. 
I thought I was going to break apart. I smiled through the whole service and I stood on that podium and I talked and I looked at her ashes and, and how I got my nephews to do it in a Mexican way because she lived in Mexico, she loved Mexico. And I just smiled, I sensed her so much. And I smiled and it's like, of course we have days where we're down. And trust me, I've had a lot of those in the last two years. I've been very low, very reflective and very petrified of life at times and anxious. But actually those things were part of me, they're part of me, but they make me what I am today. And I'm here with these lovely people. And, you know, it, all of everything, somebody else could put all of that as something, trust me, I haven't said, I've given you 1% of my upbringing. No. There is entire, you need to do 50 of these podcasts. Mm-hmm. But still, I don't judge any of it. I don't have one single regret. Everything has taught me something everything and still does and I hope it does until the day comes and I still want to lie on that deathbed or wherever I am and go like hang on a minute I've got a question wait wait (laughs) do you know what I mean yeah well the thing I've learned from this is that one or two of us could do with having English as our seventh language because you've been absolutely amazing oh thank you Michael it's been so lovely it's been such a long time I'm coming over I'm going to go to the bar come over you know where we are I'm going to come and do you know what It'll be so much fun because it, there are so many happy memories here. It's not that you feel nostalgic and oh, I wish everyone else was here. You just smile. You just smile. Yes, I know I would. It's a time capsule thing. <laughs> Brilliant. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my lovely guest, Jake Canuso. What an amazing life Jake has had and what a lovely man it's made him. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you did, then please, if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and maybe even review this podcast. Just a few words about why you like it to hopefully attract new listeners to our podcast. We'll be most grateful for the effort. And you can follow me and my time capsule on social media. That's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Look for at my TC pod or at Fenton Stevens. And do say hello and let us know your favorite episodes and any suggestions for future guests. The theme tune by Pass the Peas Music is available on Spotify if you want to hear it properly without my voice spoiling it. This was a cast-off production for Acast. It was produced by John Fenton Stevens. Right, better leave you with a Spanish joke. Um, oh yes, I've got two mates. They're both firefighters in Spain. Uh, one of them's called Jose and the other one's called Hose B. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.